It is great to be with you. We're uh, coming the last two weeks of a series we've been doing in this incredible chapter in the Bible. Some call it the greatest chapter, certainly one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. When you're wrestling in a world that's all over the place and you're looking for some language or vision or images of hope, there are few places in all of Scripture that give you more hope than what you find in Romans chapter 8. We started the first couple weeks looking at what it is that makes life really life. How do we flourish in life? And then next week I'll be at a conference, a ministry conference. So Zach Carstens is going to finish us with this incredible passage on more than conquerors. The first two weeks we looked at how God talks about the life that we most want to live is actually a gift. You can't earn it. You can't live up to it. You can't get it yourself. But it is a choice. Once you receive that gift of God's grace, you actually can choose to live into that life or to live as the natural person that we were before we knew Christ. And then we talked last week some about what that choice looks like to live into that life. We actually join in all of creation to lean into the light and the life of God. That's how we grow. We don't fight against evil. We don't fight even against the sins in ourselves. We surrender that and lean into the power of God's Spirit. The closer we get to God, the more those other things fall away. That beautiful passage that by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body. And it ended off last week with us thinking about Paul talking about this incredible inheritance we have. We're adopted into the family of God. And what the passage here says that we have all of the rights and all of the gifts of the natural son of God, Jesus himself. All of the glory, all of the goodness, all of the power. And that it left off where we'll pick up today. And we share in the sufferings of Christ. We share in what Jesus cares about in this world as well. So if you have your Bibles or your devices that you read on, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning it's in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What do you do when the world just isn't right? 
What do you do when you look around in your own life or the life of someone you care about or the world around you and everything inside of you says this isn't right? What do you do in a time like that? I want to think through kind of a simple analogy, but I think it speaks to maybe what's going on in this passage a little bit. I want to take you all the way back to 1992. I know it's before some of your time, but in 1992, there was a crisis in the world of sports. Not yet. Crisis in the world of sports. And it was the Olympic Games at the time, because in 92, things had, they were just starting to experiment with something. But back in 1988, we were embarrassed badly in the game that was invented right here in Springfield, Massachusetts. We lost for the very first time in the Olympic Games in basketball. Now, up until that point in time, now it's totally different, but up until that point in time in history, we only played with college athletes. Our athletes were good enough to send our amateurs around the world and beat them, but we were embarrassed in 88. And there was a crisis in the world of sports, and they said something has to be done. And for the first time ever in history, we put together our best players. There was one college guy, Leitner, got thrown in there, but for the most part, it was this team we call the Dream Team. It was the best athletes in the world at that time, the best basketball player in the world, probably and arguably that ever lived at that time, was on this team. And what was interesting, and a lot of people hadn't heard this unless you heard the story behind it, when they got together for the first scrimmage, it's the first time they would ever play an organized game, they were scrimmaging with the Dream Team, best athletes in the world, playing against our college all-stars. A lot of people know that we went on to win the gold that year, but a lot of people don't know we lost the first game we ever played. They lost to the college all-stars. They wiped the scoreboard off before they let the press in. Nobody else heard about this until years later. And I want you to think for a moment, what would you think? Imagine you were responsible in some way to set the sports world right. Somebody asked you to be part of putting together the dream team, making all this work, and getting overcome uh, over our embarrassment in the past. What would you feel if you were sitting in the arena and watched the dream team lose? Despair, fear, hopelessness, panic. Here's the interesting thing, though. Later on, Mike Krzyzewski would begin to tell the story of what happened. He said, if you were sitting in the arena, nobody paid attention to this, but if you look really closely, there was one guy who didn't play very much at all in the game. His name is Michael Jordan. He sat on the bench. And what Krzyzewski said later on, he realized he didn't tell this to anybody before it or even later, but he realized what was going on. Coach Daly threw the game. He intentionally lost so that after the game, he could give a speech. He intentionally rigged it so that they would lose so he could give a three-word speech. He might have said other things, but he said these three words. You can lose. And they never did again. You see, Coach Daly had one thing that nobody else in the arena had that day. When people might have been panicking and worrying and fretting and all of that, he had one thing. He had the big picture. He knew where he was headed with everything. And I think when we come to the great Romans chapter 8, part of what we get is this same thing. We get God's big picture. Where God is headed with the world, where the coach is working in the arena in ways we have no idea. And if we grasp what he says is going on in Romans chapter 8, we will begin to be able to answer the question, what do you do when the world just isn't right? 
One word dominates the entire text here from beginning to end. And when you grasp this, you know where we begin at least. Where do we begin where the world isn't right? We begin by recognizing it is time to groan sometime. It's time to groan. If you live in this world, if you try to matter in this world, if you actually care about anything in this world, hear me, you will groan. You will groan and you will hurt and you will suffer and you will wrestle with things. I think this is part of what Paul is leaving off with when he says, we are adopted into the family of God, which means we get everything Jesus gets. Yes, we get his glory. But Paul says, first, you need to understand, we also share in his sufferings. We groan when we come to this world. A lot of groaning going on. Start in the middle, look at verse 23. What it says is we groan inwardly while we wait. We groan. We hurt. Is this not true in this world? Do you understand when Paul wrote this letter, Paul was groaning? Paul was hurting as he dictated the letter inspired by the Holy Spirit we know as the book of Romans. We know at least two things Paul was groaning about. As I'm telling these, I want you to think about the things that you groan about in the world. First thing comes in chapter 9, verse 2. Paul is groaning over the lost. He was groaning specifically over the lost of the people of Israel because he grew up in that story. And he talks about chapter 2. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm aching over the fact that my countrymen in the Jewish faith don't realize that the one they've been waiting for their entire lives has already come. And he goes on to say, I wish I could give up my salvation for them. He says the problem is in chapter 10, he says they're working really hard and they're doing all sorts of stuff, but they're trying to create their own way to be right with God and that leaves you out. And he was aching over the loss. When was the last time? You just groaned over a world. I'm telling you, you know this because we've tried it too. We groan for a world that's trying every possible way to have life and fulfillment other than what we've been talking about the last two weeks. Life is found, defined in relationship to the light of life itself in Jesus Christ and people are trying everything else. Do you ever groan about that? Like Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem? Paul did when he wrote the letter. Paul is also groaning major, major part of the book of Romans. He's groaning over the division racially and socially and culturally and spiritually between Jew and Gentile for years. People used to say the book of Romans isn't about one particular thing like the other books are. It's Paul's gospel. It's the fifth gospel. It's not. I mean, Paul declares the gospel, but it's written for a very specific purpose. You get a hint of this in Acts chapter 18, verse 2. If you look there, we'll talk about what is known as the Edict of Claudius towards the end of the 40s after Christ. Claudius, the emperor at the time, decided to kick all the Jews out of the city of Rome. He didn't, the problem was, distinguish between Jews and Christians. Kicked them all out. So I want you to picture why Book of Romans was created. Can you imagine this church has been here for a hundred years, built up, founded, established by many of you, led by so many of you. If something happened that all of a sudden everybody here had to be taken away for, I don't know, three years or so, and then you came back and somebody else restarted the church. Can you imagine there might be a little tension? Because imagine the new leaders might lead in different ways than we do here. Uh, can you imagine the new people that came in and reestablished the church might do things a little bit differently than you do here? And that might cause a little argument and fight. You know, that's the reason the book of Romans was written. And Paul is groaning over the fact that these who were called to be one in Christ are at odds with each other. And he groans over that. There's time to groan. What do you groan about? I'm just thinking through my life and 
in recent months and times, what do you groan about? As I talk about mine, what do you to bring them to God? I think about a good friend of mine who, who prayed for years about the right time to leave the very established job he had and start in a brand new job. He started there. He worked there for three months. And then, as you know, the economy went crazy and inflation went crazy. And, of course, they had to lay some people off. Who do they lay off? The first new job that was there. He's got four kids and a dwindling bank account. And I say, of all the people who thought and wrestled in a good person, in a good place, who didn't need to be in this place, it's not right. And I groaned for him grown for a dear friend of mine that I walked with for some time, and he is absolutely caught up in addiction right now. He's caught up in it. He'd beaten it before, and he gave back into it, and now he's overcome. He's lost much of what he holds dear. His job is affected deeply. His family has left him, and I groan. You ever groan for things like that? Or I think of my friend Ellie. That's not her name. I remember her telling the story how she adopted little boy from Africa. She has one biological child, and she adopted a little boy, we'll call his name Teddy, from Africa. Ellie and her husband are white. She adopted this little boy from Africa, and her friends who are colored told her, when you have a child of color, you just need to understand there will come a day where they will treat Teddy differently. I'm just telling you, you need to be ready for that. I sat there when she told the story of going into a grocery store one day, and she was just watching one of those great moments. You just watch your kids. And she watched her biological child walk down one aisle. Nobody paid one bit of attention. She walked. She watched Teddy go down another aisle. And every eye that worked there in the store was fixed upon him in suspicion. And I groaned. The very things that Paul groaned over when he wrote the book of Romans. I think of a story I've told you before about a dear friend who lost a child, and then a couple years later, they lost, she lost her husband, so now she lives in a family with her and her two girls. And I told you before, I think, we went to the funeral one time, and the youngest girl got up and said, we will celebrate the hope of God, but the first thing we're going to do is just yell. And she got us into this story. We groan in a world that is broken. Do you ever let yourself groan? For what isn't right in this world. That's part of what Jesus invites us to do. To hurt over things that God does not intend. And let's be honest. We're not great at groaning in the United States of America. We sanitize life. We medicate life. We creature comfort life. Not just in our culture, but honestly in our churches sometimes. We only sing happy songs. We only tell happy stories sometimes. And it's appropriate, not to be downer, but it's appropriate to set in and share in what Paul says, the sufferings of Jesus Christ. It's time in a broken world sometimes. What do you do when the world isn't right? You groan. But there's a bit of a glimmer of hope here when you begin to read the passage a little bit further, what you recognize. You may be groaning and you may be hurting, but you are not alone in your pain. You're not alone. In fact, I want you to imagine this because picture what's going on as Paul is writing this. Imagine the first time it was ever read to the people of God. I want you to hear it in that way. When you are groaning, when you are hurting, whatever is going on in your life, understand that there is groaning going on all around you and you're joining in a chorus of that. In fact, you might be surprised at what else is groaning here in the passage. What does it say? Well, the first thing it says is that creation groans. 
Look in verse 22. It says, The whole creation has been groaning up until the present time. The whole creation is groaning. Verse before it says, The creation was subjected to frustration and is crying out for the hope to be realized, to be set free. Listen to this language from the bondage to decay. All of that fancy language is taking us back to Genesis chapter 3. God created a world that was good and was full of life and harmony with people, with God, and with a world around it. And when we declared our independence from God and said we're going to do it our way, the world broke. Not just us. Do you understand that? The world itself broke. And since that time, creation itself is crying out for God to recreate God's world. From the very beginning, we had a job. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I love N.T. Wright's vision. We were intended. We were created in the image of God. Picture the image of a mirror. We were intended to be mirrors that reflected the life and the light and the glory of God to the world around us. The problem is we turned the mirror in on ourselves and when we did that, the world broke. And creation is longing and groaning and crying out with us for the world to be different. Yeah, it's a metaphor, isn't it? But I also think there are times, don't we get these little senses that there are times when it's almost literally true? Remember a dear friend of mine lost a family member? He didn't even live there in the house anymore. We went there and she said, the dog is different. Have you ever seen that? Like animals around can almost sense when things are not right. I remember what my sweet wife wrote to someone on the anniversary of the death of a loved one. She said it was a particular day on this anniversary when it was sunny in one part, but it was just raining over here. And she said it's as if heaven itself is weeping with you. What a beautiful image. You get the sense that creation itself is crying out and groaning for the world to be different. But it's not just creation, is it? The most glorious surprise here. Did you catch who else is groaning? God is groaning too. See this verse where it, where it says, verse 26, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The wordless groans. You should kind of picture this in this moment that the Holy Spirit is crying out with us. Translating into divine speech all of the things that we are struggling with. I think this is one of the most powerful images in all of the Bible. Can you picture this? When you are hurting, when you are struggling, when you are frustrated, I want you to imagine that when you're praying, the Holy Spirit is so intensely praying for you and with you. There are times, you know this in your life, when you're hurting so much that words don't do it. You just go, oh! Did you know the Spirit of the living God is groaning with you and with the world in those moments too? What a breathtakingly powerful, image. By the way, I, I learned from a friend of mine just kind of reading through this text and thinking through, did you know this is a way you can pray too? When Jesus is teaching about prayer one time, he tells us prayer is not defined by its many words. You remember that? And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. But did you know I've learned that prayer is sometimes defined not by any words? Sometimes the best prayer you can ever pray is a prayer of silence, just sitting in the presence of God. 
And then I had a friend of mine teach me about this passage. If the spirit groans in prayer, maybe I can too. I remember one particular day I was on a retreat. And we just had a little time of quiet walking. And there was a dear, dear person in my life who was hurting deeply and struggling deeply. And have you ever been in one of those spots and everything in you wants to fix it and help and you can't? I remember where I was standing on the street. I was walking with a Bible in one hand. I'm just walking. And all I could do was just groan in prayer. I received this verse as an invitation. Sometimes that's all you got to do. Just, I did this to God and I just did this for a while. And I felt like he received it without my words. And it's almost as if we participate with the Holy Spirit in groaning, wordless groans. Is that a deeper way to pray? You know, it's okay to do that. All of creation groans with us. You're not groaning alone. The Spirit of the living God groans with us in this passage. You're not alone in your pain. But you know the best news? The best news of the entire passage. I love this. When you get down to the end, what you see on the other side of all of this groaning is shouting. On the other side of all of this groaning is shouting with unbridled joy. A couple different verses talk about this, right? In verse 19 it says, Creation is waiting with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed fully. When you will be everything God created you to be and the world will become all that was intended to be. Creation waits for eager expectation. And then verse 23, it says we wait eagerly for our adoption to be fully realized. Before it says we're adopted, we're already in the family, but we don't see it yet. We don't fully experience it yet. He goes on to say we will receive the redemption of our bodies. It's not floating away to heaven one day. You get a new body in a new heavens in a new earth. Revelation 21. 2 Peter 3. God is redeeming everything. And there's going to come a day when we will celebrate that with unbridled joy. In fact, in this passage, what you'll notice we've said before about other things, one word changes everything in this passage. There's a lot of groaning and there's a lot of pain in the passage, but one word changes it. And the mothers probably caught it before the rest of us did. It doesn't just say that creation is groaning with pain. It says creation is groaning with a particular kind of pain. Did you catch it? It's not senseless pain. It's not arbitrary pain. It's not purposeless pain. It is labor pains. All of creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth until the present time. They're labor pains. That changes everything. Because it means whatever we struggle with, whatever we ache over in this world, is leading up to a new birth that will change everything. That's why one of my favorite images of the Holy Spirit is a takeoff of something I read in a book by Margaret Gunther. When she talked about the practice of a midwife, we don't use that language very much anymore. The midwife, a, a labor coach, a birth coach, often the father who's in there cheering and not knowing what to do and what to say and all of that in the birth moment. But some are, are actually paid and trained to be there in the present. And Gunther points out, what a great image. The Holy Spirit is the midwife to the soul. The Holy Spirit is the midwife to God's great new birth that's going to happen for all of creation and all of our lives. And like any good midwife, what's, what's the great, greatest thing that a person can do in that birthing moment? They know the right time when. When what? When to clap for you, when to cheer you on, 
when to cry with you, when to shut up, guys. <laughs> and of course, glorious moment when the child comes out, when to celebrate. The Holy Spirit of God is the midwife of God working and groaning and laboring with you and cheering with you and doing everything possible till God gives birth to God's new world and everything in it. And Paul says, if you want to get a sense of what that promise looks like, just ask the mothers in the room. They will help you get there. Whenever I read this passage, I think about the time when my wife was getting ready, it was about a month out to give birth to our first child. And I was doing what most men have do, done, their fathers have done before the birth of their first child. I was sitting on a floor trying to assemble a crib with completely incomprehensible instructions. Do you understand? <laughs> By the way, the best mechanic in our family is my wife, but she's eight months pregnant. It's my job. I'm sitting there on the floor and I'm trying to get all this stuff done. Remember, it is a month before. Christine was supposed to be born. And I heard this faint voice from the other room. One word. Dean? I confess to my wife, she knows this, but I will confess to all of you. Immediately, I had a sense of what she was about to say. And I pretended I did not hear her. I thought maybe if I just lean down and kind of work a little harder, it will all go away, what I was afraid she was going to say. Sure enough, the voice came again. Dean, you know what she said, right? A month before Christine was due, she said, my water broke. And I'm sitting here in a pile of crib in a completely unfinished room. Dishes in the sink. Nothing. Go bag? There was no go bag. We threw everything we could, jumped in the car, raced to the hospital. She labored all day. Here's the thing, the mothers in the room will get this. For some of you, you need to understand this to get the image. My wife was groaning that day, but for two reasons and not just one. Some of you know exactly what I'm going to say. Reason number one is obvious. She's groaning for the labor pains, about to give birth for a child. The second thing, I did not realize until later on I was instructed in this. Not every single mother goes through this, but most do enough that it is actually a named phenomenon. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It is called nesting. Anybody familiar with this? Often in the days or even the hours before a mother, often a new mother is about to give birth, there's this instinctual thing that kicks in and she's got to go around and nest. Now listen to me, even if everything is already done, do you understand? The mothers get it. Guys, hear me. You got to get this. So they'll clean up stuff that's already clean. <laughs> they'll assemble things that are already assembled. That's already happening. Do you hear me why my wife was groaning that day? She was groaning because of the labor pains, but she was also groaning over an unfinished crib in an unfinished room in an unfinished house that wasn't ready for our little girl to come home. And she was groaning. It was as if, as if the walls themselves and the wood of the crib was crying out saying, this isn't right. We're not done here. And an incredible grace happened because a midwife of a different sort came, not to the bedside, but to the house. And the entire time my bride was laboring in the hospital room, my sister Lynn was laboring too 
in the house. And she drove down. She went in that back room. And she fixed everything. She built the crib. She got the room ready. She washed the dishes. She cleaned the floor so that that place was perfect for our little girl to come home. And I want you to think about that. Because I can still see the faces of them in the moment when they came home. Can you think about this? I can still see the face of my wife when she walked in with our little girl and she looked around and everything was better than she had dreamed. And I can still see the face of my sister looking upon her niece for the very first time. And listen to me, in that moment, my wife was not thinking about contractions. And my sister was not thinking about the sweat of crib assembly as midwife and mother got caught up in the incomparable glory of the new birth. And the great chapter 8 of Romans says, God is like that. God is laboring and groaning and sweating with you in a broken and unfinished world. And sometimes it's invisible. It's imperceptible what God is doing to make a home and a world ready for us that is everything we ever longed for. So today, now, in this time, we groan and we groan deeply with God and with others and with the world itself. But know this for certain. There is coming a day where Paul says the glory that will be revealed is incomparable. More than even the pains you have suffered. There's coming a day where the joy and the glory of God's birth of a new world is vastly beyond any groaning we will ever have. So we groan now, yes. But that groaning one day will give way to a cosmic shout of glory and joy like you've never seen before. Father God, that is our prayer. First of all, just to say thank you. Thank you for even now, all that's going on in the world, all that's going on in the relationships of our lives, in the, the broken places of our lives, and even of our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is crying out, as your Spirit was before He even created the world, brought order to the chaos and filled up the emptiness. So we thank you that you invite us to groan with you over the broken places of the world, and we are so grateful that you are giving birth to an experience of this world and lives and even our very bodies that is more glorious than anything we could ever ask or imagine. So Father, our prayer is not just that we receive this hope, but we share this hope with a broken world. We pray this for the resurrected name of Jesus. Amen.